0: You're listening to The Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. All right, in today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the idea of marriage as it's presented in the Bible, but with a specific bent toward understanding what sin looks like. So there's a metaphor that's quite common in Scripture that um, that uh, God uses through the writers of Scripture to communicate. Again, there's a doctrine called um, accommodation that is very important that we understand, and it's the kind of thing that helps us to understand um, as human beings uh, things that need to be communicated from a divine mind. Now, maybe you've never thought very hard about that, but, I mean, just think about the fact that God is, his ways are so much higher than ours, and his thoughts are so much higher than ours. And, you know, how can we, you know, the psalmist says, oh, the unsearchable riches of his glory. And when you think about that, you have to understand there are things in the mind of God that have to be communicated in a certain way to us in order for us to understand them and so this is traditionally what we understand to be called accommodation now one of the very common metaphors that is used in the Bible to communicate the kind of relationship that we have to uh, Christ and therefore to God is that of marriage now Again, we see that in the beginning, God invented marriage. I mean, I believe in a pretty traditional understanding of the doctrine of creation and the creation account. I take it pretty literally. I mean, that's a loaded word, but um, I, I take it factually. I think that the events as reported there happened pretty much as reported. And I believe, therefore, that Adam and Eve were the first human beings and that their union and God's instructing them to come together and to be one and to be fruitful and to multiply on the earth. I do believe that that was essentially the institution of marriage. And so, therefore, marriage is not merely just some sort of uh, constitutional union. You know, it's not uh, It's not that you are married because you have a piece of paper that declares it to be so. Now, of course, it, it's not necessarily wrong that that's the case. I mean, certainly, uh, insofar as the states are going to award a marriage certificate, then that is an acceptable definition. But it's just not the full picture. Here's a little something I wrote earlier, a few years ago now, um, in the ministry about the true definition of marriage. Quote, marriage has nothing to do with love, feelings, emotions, judges, preachers, court documents, soulmates, knots, ribbons, or even wedding ceremonies. Marriage is not horizontal. It's vertical. It's a promise first to God and second to your spouse. Close quote. Now, the government's redefinition of this allows for a kind of union that God never intended to take place. So let's real quick make that distinction, okay? I mean, if marriage is a particular thing, then we can't just redefine it. In other words, if God invented marriage and said, okay, marriage is this, the union of one man and one woman, becoming one flesh for one lifetime, if that's what marriage is, then the government can't just redefine it for us. And it's very important that we understand that marriage be this particular thing. (laughs) Um, It's defined this way for a reason. Um, And the reason is because it's the depiction of another kind of marriage. And it's the marriage between Christ and his bride. So let's talk a little bit about this uh, so-called marriage metaphor in Scripture. Again, you see this all over; it's used all throughout the Bible. And again, the idea is to connect God's true definition of marriage with the kind of relationship we enter into when we become in Christ. Now, let me just take a a side step here and say that we all could do better. We we all um, this should make us this should this should wake many of us up. To say that that you know we we are expected to be the kind of person in our own marriages that um, would be worthy of being compared to the kind of relationship that we enter into when we are. Christ and I mean if you think about it what a tremendous responsibility that is I mean I'm I'm, you know I'm sitting here acknowledging my own failure on that there's there's no way I live up to that and God knows that uh, you know I have so much more work to do in that angle um, in that way and we all we all certainly do but this is what we're working towards and this is again this is how important it is that God actually made this comparison in the Bible and quite often I like what John Eldridge writes um, in his book, Desire. I'm working my way through it slowly, but I am working my way through it. He says this, quote, God is the source of all masculine power. God is also the fountain of all feminine allure or allure. I guess I'm not saying that quite right. Oh, well, allure. Let's go with that. Come to think of it. He is the wellspring of everything that has ever romanced your heart the thundering strength of a waterfall, the delicacy of a flower, the stirring capacity of music, the richness of wine, the masculine and the feminine that fill all creation come from the same heart. What we have sought, what we have tasted in part with our earthly lovers, we will come face to face with in our true love. Close quote. Now, in other words, what he's saying here is, the loving marriage that you enjoy today is is pale in comparison to the kind of divine union that you have with christ and again for many of us this is just it's just difficult to think of it's so it's almost so abstract it's hard to wrap our minds around but again that is why that's the entire point of the metaphor that's why the metaphor is made because the what you feel in marriage and You know, I I mean, again, you know, we could all we could all do better to live up to this, but 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 we all need to admit that what you feel in marriage it's not like something that you get anywhere else. There's there's a love and a devotion there when you have two people who are devoted to each other through the thick and the thin, and who make it through things, and who who learn how to talk with each other and work together to actually create. A life together there's something about that that you just you can't compare it to any other kind of union in the world and that's the point that's the point and God's point is that the relationship that we have to him is that and so much more now of course there are certain things that are going to be involved in a healthy marriage right a healthy marriage is going to involve things like sacrifice unconditional love A euphoric sexual connection and implicit trust these are things that if they go missing for any period of time in a relationship then you know there's going to be tensions there there's going to be things that um that aren't the way they should be because they lack integrity in the sense that they are no longer whole so a whole or healthy marriage is going to have these things but the point that we want to kind of get to uh today is what about the unhealthy marriage what what does an unhealthy marriage um, potentially look like? And how does this kind of relate to this marriage metaphor that we see in Scripture? Well, when I was thinking on this uh, theme of marriage in the Bible the other day, it, it became even more clear to me just how destructive sin really is. And a, kind of a way to think about our... Our sin, our, our failure to live up to that standard that God uh, expects. And for many of us, let's just admit this, right? The idea of quote unquote uh, sinning against God can be a bit abstract, especially for those of you who are, are new Christians, you know, those those lines are blurred. Maybe you've spent a long time going to a, a legalistic uh, kind of church, or maybe you're in one right now and you don't even realize it, um, where you are told that things are sinful that really aren't. And then the things that would be seriously considered sinful against God are, you know, really ever uh, never really talked about and, and so this idea uh, can be a bit abstract for some and it can be uh, even more confusing for others. Um, we know what it means, right? I mean to sin to sin against God, generally speaking. We know what it means. We do know it's bad, okay And um, the most in- attentive of us realize that it actually hurts a person. And i'm not talking about you i'm not talking about you um there are disastrous consequences that come along with sin for those around us and the people that we love your 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 sinful life i mean just just think about this if you are a person who says one thing and then does another thing what does that just tell your family and what kind of message does that send your family it says that you're a hypocrite. It says that you're not consistent. And you know, granted, yeah, we all you know have a measure of this. That's the point. We're in a sin-cursed world. We need a redeemer. We need the Lord's grace. I know I, I do. Uh, here in our family, we need the Lord's grace on this as much as anybody else does. But realize that um, that that sin has the potential to affect more than just you. It's going to affect those around you and in a a very big way. But outside of taking another's life, just think about this. What sin, you know, what kind of thing could you commit against another person? Okay, what kind of wrongdoing could you commit against another person, especially somebody that you're deeply in love with or that you claim to be deeply in love with at least? Um, how how could you perform another uh, a sin that's as grievous as marital infidelity? I mean, that is... That is, as, to me, um, as, as wicked as it gets. And in a biblical worldview, it's really no mystery as to why. Because the pain caused when you sin against your partner causes a ripple effect throughout your life. It, it, it's, it has the potential to destroy everything, but it's going to affect the one that you love your partner in life your who should be your best friend the most they they've given everything to you and in what may have been nothing more to you than some sort of momentary lapse of judgment in that moment you have broken their trust and probably broken their heart now this often leads to something even a little bit worse in exchange right you you exchange that good relationship the love and and the promise that that shared again all of those things the implicit trust the connection all of that you exchange that for something totally superficial something completely fake it's nothing more than a a mirage it's entirely fake and the point that I want to make here and kind of bringing together the ideas of the marriage metaphor and sinning against God is this. The same exact thing happens when you turn your back on God. The Bible calls this exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Romans one Again, I realize the context there is unbelievers and we're not living in that kind of, um, Uh, context because we are in in christ but again i'm just i'm kind of channeling that language here there's an exchange that we make and um it grieves the heart of god in a way that we can't even understand but the marriage metaphor is just about as close as we can get to that we we can get a tiny glimpse of that pain of that hurt when we sin against against god so in, in the very same way that uh, adultery, basically marital uh, infidelity, destroys a marriage. Spiritual infidelity, which is idolatry, destroys your relationship with God. It it, it breaks that. It breaks that fellowship. And of course, it's always possible to make amends. You know, we're not talking anything here with uh, when it comes to our, our our status as sons of God. Um, you know, our divine status, as it were, uh, being in Christ. We're not talking about any of of that stuff and, and again i think the metaphor holds i mean infidelity does not necessarily lead to divorce neither does idolatry necessarily lead to apostasy but even with that though that that uh, assumption that yeah you can make amends you can make things right think of the hurt and the pain and the damage that has been caused as a result of that now of course where the metaphor does break down, and this is, again, what makes um, uh, you know, the, the real thing even more superior than the metaphor, is there's total reconciliation in Christ. There is forgiveness in Christ that just by, by definition, by, by virtue of who Christ is, you won't find that same spirit in your spouse. You may have a spouse who you destroy that relationship with, and they won't let you have it back, but Christ will always um, let you come back. Um, Christ offers that uh that relief, that restoration, that reconciliation. To be in Christ means, according to Romans 8 1, that there is now no more condemnation. I mean, if you are in Christ Jesus, then then you are in Christ Jesus. That is it. But think about this. The next time you consider that pet sin, the evil thought. That you're harboring inside the malice that grips you when you see that person who has wronged you in the past or or even the allure which comes so easily to your flesh and to my flesh think about what that sin does to God by framing it in the context of something that's immediately tangible for you your own marriage your own relationship I mean what if it was your wife what if it was your husband? Think about that. Keep that relationship alive and well with the Lord by following James's advice. He says this in James 4, 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And that's the point. The Lord will draw nigh to you if you will draw nigh to him. The closer you get to him, in other words, the closer he gets to you. All right, well, thank you for sticking around for another episode here of the show. If you enjoyed it, wish you'd um, you know make it a, a, a priority to tell somebody else about it. Again, that's probably the best way that you can help this show to grow. I mentioned last week about some statistics that I saw recently that suggested that the vast majority— of new listeners to podcasts, uh, find it by word of mouth. In other words, you know, it's not a social media recommendation. It's not, um, you know, any social media advertising even. Uh, By far, by far, the number one way that podcasts grow and spread to, to more listeners is for you to just tell somebody that you like the show. So if you would do that, I would absolutely uh, love that and appreciate that. I do have another podcast review to uh, to read for you, and this one comes from Noah's Mom. Uh, Noah's Mom says, Good stuff. This program is a great and gracious alternative to groups like AIG and ICR. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's Answers in Genesis and the Institute for Creation Research. She says, Steve is gracious and demonstrates humility in presenting information that other groups often venomously use to attack other Christian views. Steve avoids this and brings a refreshing approach to any topic he touches. Well, certainly I appreciate that review. If you would like to leave a review for us, you can do that in any uh, iTunes store, no matter what country you're in, or if you use another platform like Spotify or CastBox or something like that to listen to your podcasts, then you could go there and leave a review, I will see it just about from wherever it comes from, and then we can read it right here on the podcast. And the reason you do this is just if you enjoy the show and the content, Of course, it does help me, right? I mean, selfishly, it helps me. It keeps me going. It's it's nice to see that people are benefiting from the show. But also, it helps other people when they're checking out the show, when they're evaluating it as something that they should maybe listen to. It helps them to make that decision better because people are deciding based on information that they see that other people like it as well. So I would certainly appreciate you doing that. Well, that's all for this week. Again, I uh, encourage you to join us next week on the podcast we're going to be talking about the resurrection and uh, having just come off the heels of uh, Easter I know you're really going to enjoy that so God bless we'll see you next time bye